We take our scripture this morning from the Gospel of Luke, chapter 4. Since I have the privilege of being scheduled here during Advent, I'm here today, and the Lord willing, I'll return two more Sundays of Advent. This is part of an Advent series, but in an odd kind of way, because we're not going to look at, first of all, at promises that usher in Jesus' coming and its fulfillment, but Jesus already here, embarking upon his ministry, and we ask ourselves a question with Advent, a longing for Jesus to come, but then a very serious question, what Jesus? Which Jesus? What kind of Jesus? Should we expect and do we desire? And we learn that, a lesson about that, here from Luke chapter 4, starting the reading at verse 14, reading to verse 30. These words. And Jesus returned in the power of the Spirit to Galilee, and a report about him went out through all the surrounding country, and he taught in their synagogues, being glorified by all. And he came to Nazareth, where he had been brought up, and as was his custom, he went to the synagogue on the Sabbath day, and he stood up to read, and the scroll of the prophet Isaiah was given to him. He enrolled the scroll and found the place where it was written, The Spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim liberty to the captives and recovery of sight to the blind, to set at liberty those who are oppressed, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. And he rolled up the scroll, gave it back to the attendant, and sat down. And the eyes of all the synagogue, all in the synagogue, were fixed on him. And he began to say to them, Today this scripture has been fulfilled in your hearing. And all spoke well of him and marveled at the gracious words that were coming from his mouth. And they said, Is not this Joseph's son? And he said to them, Doubtless you will quote to me this proverb, Physician, heal yourself. What we have heard you did at Capernaum, do here in your hometown as well. And he said, Truly I say to you, no prophet is acceptable in his hometown. But in truth I tell you, there were many widows in Israel in the days of Elijah, when the heavens were shut up three and a half years months, and three years and six months, and a great famine came over all the land, and Elijah was sent to none of them, but only to Zarephath in the land of Sidon, to a woman who was a widow. And there were many lepers in Israel in the time of the prophet Elisha, and none of them was cleansed, but only Naaman the Syrian. When they heard these things, all in the synagogue were filled with wrath. 
And they rose up and drove him out of the town and brought him to the brow of the hill on which their town was built so that they could throw him down the cliff. But passing through their midst, he went away. Thus far, reading from God's holy word, may he bless his holy word to us. Very serious about that question in our bulletin. What Jesus do you accept? Advent means coming. The arrival, the expected arrival of Christ, which gives us our New Testament. The Old Testament, the promise awaiting his arrival. The New Testament, he's arrived. And now the blessings that come from him. Come, Lord Jesus, come. Come, oh, come, Emmanuel. What kind of Emmanuel? If you'll notice here in Luke 4, his hometown said yes to Jesus and then no to Jesus. What Jesus? What kind of Jesus? It's acceptance and then it's rejection. Favor, then it's fury. It's important for us to understand that Luke, as he begins the story of Jesus, some doesn't tell us this big, long narrative about all the stuff in Capernaum and how he did these miracles and everyone in Galilee was impressed with Jesus and everyone, other than to summarize it very briefly, and he taught in their synagogues being glorified by all. Passes right over it, zeroes in on his reception at his hometown. Luke's teaching us something. We all want the world to love Jesus. If you just met Jesus, if you just knew some Jesus, if you could just get some Jesus message into you, yes, Jesus, pro-Jesus, you want to love Jesus, want Jesus. Luke's saying it's not that simple. Instead, he says, when the gospel actually reaches ears, it meets with different kinds of... Even Jesus taught us that one with the different soils, and soils represent different hearts, right? And some are hard hearts, like hard path soil, and some are smothered hearts with weeds and everything smothering out, and and some are filled with all kinds of cares and and worries. There's rocky soil in which it doesn't go, the roots don't go deep and it easily withers. Only certain good soiled hearts, prepared hearts, receive it. Here we discover that all kinds of people have an agenda for Jesus. In fact, you, you can sometimes meet churches that are sort of just a little shell of what they once were. Somehow they sort of lost the gospel. They once accepted Jesus, but over time they sort of started pushing him away. Because the sort of Jesus they want is what we meet here in Nazareth. They don't want the Jesus who comes for them. Miracle Jesus. Wonder worker Jesus. Do for me, Jesus. Impress me, Jesus. Entertain me, Jesus. 
And let me keep you in my back pocket and I'll take you out when I happen to need you every once in a while, Jesus. Stay out of my life, Jesus, otherwise. But that's not who Jesus is. He doesn't come to us as, just use me. And until you need me, forget about me. That's not how he comes. Advent, come Lord Jesus. Which, what Jesus do you accept? Now with this sermon this morning, the points are real simple. The first point is scripture. Because Jesus reads the scripture. The second point is sermon. Because Jesus preaches a sermon. And the third point is response. So what happens at every worship service? A preacher reads a scripture, he preaches a sermon, and one way or another we respond to it. That's the three points. First, the scripture. We're told here that he went to Nazareth, where he'd been brought up, so his hometown, hometown kid. Can anything good come out of Nazareth? Hey, Jesus, hometown boy made made good. He He's the, the talk of the town. He's the talk of all of Galilee. Uh, he's put us on the map. He goes to synagogue, which was the, the worship place. It was the building where the people gathered. The word synagogue literally means gathering, like a congregation. You congregate, you gather. And they worshiped a lot like we do. He went there. And the way they worshipped back then, it, some of our worships modeled after it. First, they sang psalms. They lifted up their, their voice in praise. And then after that would come a kind of confession. It was called the Shema. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. They would recite that. And then after that would come the 18 benedictions which would be words of blessing from God, and these were read aloud. Then came scripture time, and they would read two scripture passages, one from the law, the five books of Moses, and then a reading from the prophets. So what would happen, they didn't have printed Bibles like us, they had these big leather scrolls, and the scrolls would be taken from a kind of chest, an ark, and the leader of the synagogue or one of his attendants would take the scroll out, unroll it. It rolled this way, by the way, not this way. <laughs> always drives preachers nuts. Once you learn how it was, it's not like this. It's like this. And that would be read. Then it would be rolled up and put away. And then the prophets would be read. And no doubt Jesus had been asked, to do the reading, and be the one who would give the exhortation, the meditation, the sermon. And he had asked, in fact, he gets the Isaiah scroll, he unrolls it to the place he wanted, and he read these words. But we'll wait. Then it would be, he would go sit down, but not in the front bench, he would sit down in a, in a kind of preacher's chair. So you gave the sermon sitting down instead of standing up. 
That's why all eyes are fixed on him. Well, what next? And then after the sermon, you would have the blessing of Aaron. You know, the Lord bless you and keep you and make his face shine upon that. That was their worship. So Jesus goes there. He asks that the scroll be uh, of Isaiah be given. And he finds the place uh, for this scripture reading. And he reads from two places. He reads from Isaiah 61, the first two verses. And he reads from Isaiah 58, verse 6. The Spirit of the Lord is upon me, he reads, because he's anointed me to do what? To proclaim good news to the poor. He's sent me to proclaim liberty, freedom to the captives, recovery of sight to the blind, to set at liberty, to make free those who are oppressed. And to proclaim, it's arrived, it's here. The Lord's favor is upon us. And he tells us, as they, he sits and they all fix, I tell you today, this scripture is fulfilled in your hearing. Now you have to hear something here. The spirit of the Lord is upon me. That's big stuff. And the next line is big stuff, too, because he has anointed me. Now, in our culture, when we set someone aside for a special task, we tend to have a little ritual, a little ceremony, maybe a little pledge, a document, a diploma, and that sets them aside that you're given a task unlike others and have a responsibility and the authority to go do it. In the Old Testament, in this time, the way they did that was through an anointing ceremony. So they would put oil on someone's head. Literally, they could douse them with it. And this fragrant oil, don't think motor oil. (laughs) Think, (laughs) as a child, I always thought, why? You have to think a fl- a kind of a fragrant, something more like olive oil that's uh, been imbued with something fragrant and beautiful, almost like a perfume, okay? And that was a ceremony in which he's marked, this person's marked out for a task. And over time, this idea of anointed one, it's where we get our word, Messiah, from the Hebrew word Mashiach. Messiah is the the anointed one, the one to bring help and salvation and blessing and recovery and hope and, and new beginnings. He reads that and he says, the Spirit of the Lord is upon me. He's anointed me. Yeah, that's what Isaiah said. And now Jesus is saying, it's fulfilled in your hearing now. Wow. Messiah has come. The hope. Advent's arrived. The Christ is here. Wow. 
Except what Jesus do you accept? What Jesus do you expect? What is Jesus supposed to do for us? What did Isaiah say he was to do? To proclaim good news, gospel. That's the word there. Good news, gospel. A good message, good glad tidings to the poor. To proclaim freedom to captives, recovery of sight to the blind, freedom to the oppressed, and God's favor has arrived. A big fat benediction, blessing, covers us like a cloud. That's the scripture. Then comes the sermon. But when you start thinking about this sermon, the script, you have to meditate on that scripture because that's how sermons work. They're trying to preach scriptures, right? The four categories he lists there are the poor, captives or prisoners, blind, and oppressed. We know from the Bible all of these can be literally, first of all, literally, you're poor. But by extension, you can also be spiritually poor. You can, you can be literally a prisoner. For whatever reason, you find yourself in prison or in jail. But there's other kinds of prisons. We can be in bondage and prisons to sin. Some people are in a porn prison. Some people are, they find themselves uh, unable to forgive themselves. They're in an anger prison. They're in a, a bearing a grudge prison. Some people are simply prone, and each of us are more prone to certain kinds of sins and habits of hearts than others. You know, your big sin problem might not be mine, but I have a different one. Sometimes we're filled with pride. Sometimes we just uh, look angrily at life and we're negative and pessimistic and bitter toward God. There's all kinds of prisons, just like to be poor, we can be literally poor, which can put us in a kind of disposition, either of need or anger, of looking up to God for help or bitterness. But we can be spiritually poor. You don't know anything about God. We know people like that. They're, they're poor in the God department. They, they, know in, they don't know anything. Same with being captive. And then the same with being blind. You can be literally blind. And we know in Jesus' ministry, he comes and he heals many blind people. They're blind and he gives them sight. They can actually see again. But people can be spiritually blind. Samson was blind until he literally lost his sight. Then he started to see and understand how much he needed God. People can be blind in all kinds of ways and oppressed. The Jews at this time, don't forget, are under the thumb of the Roman Empire. They're an oppressed people. They're a poor people. Not all of them, but most of them. They're a people who could easily be thrown in jail if they cross the Romans. This is a time in which you can't think like an American. You've got to think like 
We're God's people. We're the only little group that God has favored. And we're not, we don't seem too favored because we're under a big fat Roman boot and we pay taxes to Caesar. And when Jesus would come on the scene, you have Mary and Joseph with Caesar Augustus barking orders. Get to your hometown. I'm taking a census. I want to know who's in my empire, where they're from, where they make their living, and how I can tax them and have money and power over them. We don't seem, as God's people, too favored. Instead, we seem oppressed. Because we are. That's how it was. Jesus comes. I come to bring freedom for the oppressed. There's other kinds of oppression. There's addiction oppression. People's lives are shattered. People's lives are fractured. Their marriages are broken. They have kids who've who've lost their way and their hearts are, are broken. There's all kinds of ways in which we know oppression and neediness. And Jesus comes, look, it's a version of what he's saying here as I come to be the way, the truth, and the life. That's what's happening. And with that big benediction, I proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. It's arrived in your hearing. Now, this is the kind of thing with this scripture coming to them. And the people hear this and were told, verse 22, they spoke well of him. They marveled. Their eyes were big. Wow, this is, isn't this something? And it looks like in acceptance. It looks like embrace of Jesus. And they say, is, is not this Joseph's son? We, we know, he's Joseph's son. We remember him. Yeah, he's Joseph's son. He's a lot more than Joseph's son. He's God's son. That part they don't get. You're Joseph's son. We've heard about you. We know you. You did cool stuff over in Capernaum. Do cool stuff here too. Wow us with some miracles like you did in Capernaum. I mean, it's a pretty big order you're saying here. This scripture is fulfilled in your hearing. You're Joseph's son. The Spirit of the Lord's upon you. You're the anointed. You're Messiah. Really? Well, show us. Acceptance or is this rejection? What Jesus do you want? That's why he says this to them. Doubtless, you'll quote me this proverb, physician, heal yourself. You act like we're the ones that need the healing. You act like we're the ones that need the help. You act like we're the poor and the imprisoned and, and the, the captives, the, the, the blind and the oppressed. You act like, we're, like we need help. 
Heal yourself. Eh, start in your own backyard. That's not acceptance. That's rejection. And that's why Jesus goes on. What we have, this is what you'll say to me, what we have heard you did in Capernaum do here in your hometown as well. And that's why he says, no prophet's acceptable in his hometown. No, no prophet has honor in his own family. I remember you. You're not much. <laughs> Come on. I tease my wife that way. You know, like, everyone else liked the sermon. I don't know if you liked it. You know, no prophets in his honor in his home, in his hometown. His home. Every, every young seminarian, the first time he has to preach in front of his home church, it's one of his worst and most terrifying experiences. Here I, here I go. You know. And yet by the Spirit of God, there's blessing. But what happens here? He offers two illustrations in his sermon. He hearkens them back to two events back in the Old Testament. One with Elijah the prophet. The other one with his successor, Elisha the prophet. He takes them way back takes them back to First um, Kings 17. I know that, but for some reason I doubted myself. First Kings 17. This is where you had a wicked, evil king. And so God sends his prophet, I mean an evil king who's God's people. They're just not serving God at all. So God says, I tell you what, I'll show these people how much they need me. It's not going to rain at the word of my prophet for three and a half years. See how well you're doing chasing fertility gods, you know, for good crops and money in the bank when it doesn't rain at the word of my prophet for three and a half years. One year, no crops, no money, no bank. Two years, no crops, no money, no bank. Three years, no crops, no money, no bank. And a, another half year. Are you looking up now? Is Baal God or is the Lord God who is God? God. Your Baal God isn't giving you any rain. How about you start worshiping the Lord God? Now, during that time, people were desperate, and there was a widow. There were many desperate widows. But in 1 Kings 17, we learn the little story about this widow who has a boy, and she's gathering sticks to make her last meal with a little bit of oil and flour she has left, and then they'll die. That's how desperate it is. And yet... The prophet comes and he says, fix me a meal with your flour and oil. And take me in. And it's going to be fine. And she does. With the, the little bit she has left, 
She acts in faith and gives literally her last meal to the prophet. And what happens is the oil never runs dry and the, the flour never runs out. And so for three and a half years, they're provided for. And the point of this story is it didn't happen to someone in the circle of God's people. It happened to an outsider, to a Gentile. There was many people in the circle of God's family, widows who needed this help, and yet the blessing went to someone on the outside who did what? Who acted in humble faith, who recognized herself as poor and captive and blind and oppressed and needy and empty-handed, and God filled her up. That's illustration number one. Illustration number two comes from 2 Kings chapter 5, this time with the prophet Elisha. Jesus says, you know, there were a lot of lepers back in those days, and the prophet didn't heal any of them of their leprosy, except for this general, this commander of the Syrian army, again, outsiders, non-circle of God's family, outside that circle, there was Naaman. And the king of Syria said, go down and get help from Elisha. And so he reluctantly goes. Meanwhile, the king of Israel thinks, oh, this doesn't look good. It looks like they're just spying on us. But no, Elisha says, don't worry about it and send him to me. And so he goes to Elisha, and Elisha doesn't even go out to meet him. He says, just go bathe seven times in the Jordan River. Sends a messenger. And Naaman is just furious. Ha! What a dirty Jordan River. We have better rivers where I'm from. What a dumb thing to do. Go bathe in a river. And yet he goes off in a huff, but his servant said, if he'd asked you to do something hard, you'd do it. What do you have to lose? Go do it. Humble yourself. Look at your, you're, you're desperate. You're poor and weak and leprous. Go do what he, he does, and he's healed. Now, Jesus says, this blessing didn't come to anyone in Israel, but only to Naaman the Syrian, and they go ballistic. This earns a response. They've heard the scripture, they've heard the sermon with dual illustrations from the Old Testament, and the response is throw him off a cliff. Interrupt the worship service. They don't get to the ironic blessing. No. Get rid of this guy, send him out of town, and send him out of town off a cliff. How dare he? What did Jesus do that was so offensive? This is what he did. He said to them that they're poor. Not just physically poor, spiritually poor. He said that they're, in, they're captives, they're imprisoned. They're not just literally, no, we're not in jail. The Romans haven't, we're fine. No, they're under a kind of different imprisonment and bondage. 
Look what they, they're off to do. It shows you how spiritually fallen they are, how hard of heart. We're not blind, but the Messiah is in their very midst, and they don't see him. Joseph's kid. Yeah, and the son of God. Miracle work us, impress us. But that's not what the widow did. That's not what Naaman did. They simply acted according to the word. And they were blessed. How dare you suggest those Gentiles are better than we are? How dare we think we're better than them? If it's grace, then how are we better? If it's God acting to bless us, to help us, to change us, to remake us, to forgive us, there's no better than. All there is is we together need help. We together are poor without Jesus, blind without Jesus, oppressed, crushed. Many of us can testify within our lives things that have crushed our hearts. We wondered if there would be a happy tomorrow, whether it was possible. Many of us have known challenges and things that, Lord, where's the solution? And it's what the old Puritans used to call a valley of vision where you're brought down into this dark valley of the shadow of death and finally you look up for help. I'm poor, I'm blind, I'm captive, I'm oppressed, I'm crushed. I have no answers, I'm empty-handed. Have mercy on me. That's whom he comes to proclaim the good news. Advent, I'm all for it. Let's celebrate Advent as proud people, better than them people. I need Jesus a little bit. Other people need him a whole lot. You only need Jesus a little bit, really? How much grace could you do without from Jesus? Could you do without any of it? Don't you need all of it? Advent indeed, it's arrived. He announces its arrival. Advent indeed, the Spirit of the Lord is upon me. He's anointed me to proclaim this good message to help the poor and the captive and the blind and the oppressed. But he can't help us if we don't think we qualify. In other words, we're all called to humility. Jesus doesn't come to arrogant Jews who don't think they want or need that Jesus. That. I, I don't accept that one. Well, which one will you accept? We all need the Jesus he comes to be. Lord and Savior. See, some people want a Savior Lord. Let me live how I want. Do what I want. Forgive me of all the stuff I do that's sinful and wrong and broken and twisted and hurtful. Just forgive me and let me go on as... 
And some people want just a rule Jesus, just a Lord Jesus. Yeah, I don't need much saving. I just need to be told what to do and do it better, and I will. There. No, we need both. Savior and Lord Jesus. Forgives us all of our sins and now reigns in our heart. Rules. He's at the wheel, is the song. Jesus at the wheel. <laughs> and he steers our life in the way it's supposed to go. I'm here for the ride. Direct me, Lord, by your word to do your will. What, Jesus, do you accept? Fix me, Jesus. Teach me, Jesus. Love me, Jesus. Guide me, Jesus. Oh, there's the impress me, Jesus. Let me use you, Jesus. Stay out of my life most of the time, Jesus. Thrill me. Entertain me, Jesus. How about we accept the Lord, Jesus? The Savior, Jesus. The one who loves us. Who brings good news to us. Who helps us. Who never leaves us or forsakes us, Jesus. Who dies on the cross for us, Jesus. Who emerges victor, Jesus. King of kings. Lord of lords, Jesus. That's the one. May we receive him. Accept him. As we think about Advent... Come, Lord Jesus, that Jesus. Come again. Come quickly. Amen. Lord, indeed, bless us with your word. We're thankful for it. We love you because you first loved us. May we love you more and more. Bless your word to us for Jesus' sake.